0: Welcome to the Action Research Podcast, somehow the first podcast dedicated solely to action research. Each episode, action research experts Adam and Joe explore facets of this research methodology. Speaking with experienced and emerging action researchers, they aim to contribute to this important and growing field and understand the nuance and process of action research in action.
1: My name is Adam Stieglitz, PhD candidate at the University of Louisville, and also director and co-founder of the Andean Alliance for Sustainable Development, a
2: social change organization in the highlands of Peru. My name is Joe Levitan, an assistant professor and graduate program director at McGill University, as well as the co-founder and co-director of Centro Educativo Payatayu, a community-based learning center in the Peruvian Andes. Today, I am thrilled to introduce a collaborator, a good buddy, a good friend, and a co-editor of a book we're working on, Dr. Mark Braceoff, associate professor at the School of Education at Arcadia University, as well as the Senate president and a teacher for almost 20 years. Pretty awesome dude, a guy who is a great teacher fighting the good fight for the people and a native of philadelphia and a dad and a great
3: dude so welcome mark thanks joe thanks adam thanks and uh, vanessa thanks for having me
1: nice to meet you mark but before we jump in we have another person introduce today. It is the one and only Vanessa Gold, who's going to be a guest host and participant on the podcast today. Vanessa is a doctoral student in the Department of Integrated Studies of Education at McGill University, studying pedagogical change processes in secondary and post-secondary schools. The research areas informing her work include student voice, which is something that we are going to be doing a deep dive into today, educational leadership, design thinking, and action research. And on top of all of that, she makes up part of the production team for this podcast. So Vanessa, awesome to see you. And thanks so much for coming on today.
0: I can't tell you how excited I am. It's one of the benefits of the podcast is being able to interact with leading scholars in action research. And then to be able to talk to someone who's a leader in the field that interests me is just beyond exciting.
1: I think so too. And am I correct in that student voice is the methodology that you're going to be focusing on for your dissertation?
0: Yep. It's one of several intersecting paradigms that I'm going to be drawing from.
1: Okay, sweet. And then Mark and Joe, my understanding is you guys are writing a book on student voice, right? I mean, suffice to say, you're experts in the field. Is that also correct?
3: We've been working on it for quite some time now. Yeah.
1: Sweet. And I admittedly know very little about student voice. I know a thing or two about action research, but through the specific lens of student voice, not so much. So that's the angle you can expect coming from me. So I think a good way to just kind of jump into this conversation and to build off some of the the ideas that we've already started to to touch on just from the introduction is with our classic action research podcast, lightning round. And Vanessa, if it's okay with you, I think you should take the reins here. Are you cool with, with facilitating the lightning round?
3: Oh yeah. I'm ready for it. I should have brought some alcohol. This seems really. (laughs) Yeah, you should. That's going
0: to be part of next season. (laughs) I have one question before we start the lightning round, because we usually introduce our guests with some sort of a gimmick, like the Queen of Awesome or mm. Badass Scholar. And Joe shared some information about you, and I was wondering if you could tell me more about, is it Okianos?
3: Okeanos Okie for short. Okie. Okay.
0: Tell me about Oki.
3: Well, Oki is a drummer in Stereo Titans, but he's also uh, one of the Greek Titans, and so i don't know if you all know the greek mythology but you know the titans created the you know the universe and everything around us and then their children got really like we want the power and then they, they overthrew the the titans and put them in prison tartarus which happens to be my butt in in mythology and then the mythology around the titans kind of ends it's about zeus and all those others so the stereotypes, titans the band picked up on that and we built a mythology after they escaped from tartarus and they're in collinswood new jersey and they're building a demigod army to fight Zeus. And I happen to be Okanus in that act and I'm the drummer.
1: Before there was mankind, the powerful Titans owned the night and day. Indeed, this was a golden age. Out of a family squabble. And, on this
3: side. and so I have like pentacles coming on my drum set and we have a comic book and all that. So, yeah,
1: we have a comic book and all that, he said.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so now to the lightning round. Maybe we'll keep a link to your band in our podcast notes so people can check it out. It's time for a lightning round. Adam and Joe have prepared some key questions for our guest. The challenge is to answer them in the shortest amount of time. Okay, so first question. In your own words, what is student voice research?
3: Joe can chime in at any moment as well, but it's uh, not only researching young people and their perspectives on school and school change and community and all that, but it can also be researching with students, which is like they're a part of the research process and part of the research dissemination process as well.
0: Great. Next question What are some misconceptions about student voice?
3: Oh, my God. So that they don't know what they're talking about, that they're immature and they don't have valuable knowledge that can help us improve teaching and learning in schools and improve school change processes. Young people are often viewed as those who do not want to engage in school change and want to leave their schools. Uh, th- those are uh, quantifiably, qualitatively incorrect.
0: Which leads to my next question. Why is it important that adults collaborate with youth
3: in research? It just makes research better. It makes schools better, it makes students better, it makes adults better, because they surface so many important things about schools that we're not looking at, or some things that we are looking at, and they help to create more synergy around those ideas.
0: Next question. What does high-quality research with students look like, or what does it do?
3: Uh, Well, that is actually what our book is about. That's a pretty deep answer, but it's a lot of like reflection and thinking about the context that you're researching in and thinking about the right questions and how you collect data and the access to the data and the ways in which you think about, uh, the ways in which to uh, analyze that data and the ways in which you want to communicate that. If education research is supposed to be about school change, then you got to bring in the participants of that of those experiences to help you deepen that work. And so it, it essentially helps you deepen the research and make it higher quality.
0: And finally, How are student voice and action research aligned?
3: Again, my my buddy Joe here, you know, he's, he's a pro in the action research, but I think it's really well aligned that action research is about engaging in the change as you're researching the change. If you're in schools, why would you not do that with students, right? And help them to shape the research agenda and the ways in which you do that work. So it makes for powerful change.
0: Thank you. That brings us to the end of the lightning round. You were talking about your book when you were answering what high quality research looks like, and just in terms of what you're saying regarding action research, I think a strong similarity is the role of reflexivity and reflection and cycles of action through that process. So we want to talk a little bit about the student voice research framework with you and those kinds of things that um, inform high quality research. So I'm going to pass it off to Adam and Joe to lead that conversation.
2: All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Vanessa. Um, Yeah, just to add to one of the things that you're saying, I think student voice research as one of the foundational principles is that it changes schools for the better. I think that we could say that. It intentionally and actively engages with students. And so that's where the student voice focus is, whereas action research is doing the same thing, but it doesn't. The participants are a little bit broader. And the context can be slightly different. I think that a lot of the processes and a lot of the paradigms and principles are pretty similar, in my humble opinion, having done some of this stuff.
3: You would know, Joe, you're, you're the man with that stuff. So absolutely.
1: Um, so as the guy that is pretty unfamiliar with student voice research as a methodology, I just have a quick clarification question building off of the what is student voice research question from the lightning round. I always try to like picture in my head what this research looks like in practice. Am I correct in saying that student voice research is pretty much any type of research
3: that is being done
1: with students,
3: or is there more to it? There is more to it, and I'm glad you're coming back to it. So the premise of it is student voice research is that students have meaningful insights about their experiences in schools and that student voice research at the the bare minimum is that going in and like asking them and listening to them and thinking about that why that is significant is that if you spend any time at any educational research conference which i'm sure you all have you'll notice that when students are talked about in research they typically are like statistical data or they're looking at like standardized achievement tests because that's the easiest way to collect data on like student improvement Uh, i'm always i understand that purpose and i get it but as a student voice researcher, I'm always like, the topic that you are just engaging in researcher, if you actually would have taken more time and energy and went directly to the source and asked students about their experiences in relationship to the thing that you're researching, you would learn so much more that would help you think through the way in which this research can be applied to the settings themselves. In my view, student voice is, is recognizing that young people have really important perspectives about their experiences and that as researchers, we need to go out and get it. Now, what Joe and I have done and others have done before us is that, how do you do that? What are the ways to do that, that you can get at that information, but also what are the things that we as a researcher need to do to ensure that we're there and ready to listen to it?
0: Right. And so what you talk about in the student voice research framework are the intersection of four important pillars of research with and about students, which are, I don't think we've said them out loud yet, reflexivity, power dynamics, intersubjectivity, and context. So do you want to jump in to talk about what reflexivity kind of looks like, why it's important, how it kind of evolves in student voice research?
3: Sure. Thanks for inviting the conversation about it. We didn't invent the concept of reflexivity, obviously. I'm hoping that, you know, you as doctoral students and us, that we practice this notion of not only reflecting on our own biases, In, like, what we think is important about school, what we think about young people, what do we think about the thing that we're the phenomena that we're examining? Uh, Not only are we thinking about that and, and, and servicing our biases so we know what to look for and how to find counter evidence to be truthful about the spaces that we're examining and the phenomena that we're trying to understand and unpack, but that we're also thinking about how our presence and our research itself can actually impact the site. There was a book that really had an impact on me. It's called The Journeys Through Ethnography. And that book was an edited volume where uh, really famous or well-known research and education in the past that got really well known, these researchers came back and wrote essays about their experience doing that research. And many of them reflected on how in the heat of the moment of engaging in ethnographic research they themselves were impacting the results of their studies by being engaged by saying certain things by their presence or their, their lack of presence there. And I was studying that book to really understand like what our role is in, in the research process. And if we're the tool, if, you know, in qualitative research is where I usually sit. If we're the tool, then we need to really understand ourselves as a tool. Because we're going to go out and and after doing excellent research, we're going to generalize and tell the public, like, these are the ways forward. This is the things that we should be doing to help improve schools. But if we were part of that process and we influenced that process, we're not being entirely honest. So we're working with young people. There's a high likelihood because of our positionality, because of the ways that young people are treated in the power dynamics in schools, that there's a possibility that we could do some real damage in the space. Because we're not paying attention to that. And that that is just, just not ethical. So we we really wanted to put that out as, as one of the most important principles in the book.
0: I wonder often, because I'm gonna be going into schools as part of my research. I understand the concept of reflexivity and I can do deep critical self reflection. I can uh, bounce my ideas off against my colleagues and hope that they call me out on <laughs> things that I'm getting wrong or whatever. But I wonder what that looks like with students too, like acknowledging your biases, talking about your positionality. Um, It's not so easy to just do all of that reflexive work and then also expect others to engage in that process with you. And I'm just curious about what that looks like, especially, I guess this leads into power dynamics, considering the power dynamics between me as an adult, also a student, also a teacher, and them as students in a very different positionality.
3: It's challenging, which is why we, we placed it where it is in, the, in, in our text. But certainly the first step would be to articulate what your biases are and to really put it out there. You know, when I typically read dissertations, my students, when they go in their biases, they, they describe their, like, the jobs that they do in their schools and, you know, that maybe they're a supervisor and so forth. But, and I'm always like, okay, that's important to know that your positionality Uh, in terms of like your role in this school, but you haven't really articulated enough about the phenomena that you are looking at and what you believe to be true about that phenomena, right? And that is so critical. I have my students all the time. Tell me what you think is true about this thing that you're looking at. And then they they describe, they describe, they describe. And I'm like, well, now tell me what you think is not true about it or what you think you're missing. And that's where it usually gets them a bit ruffled. And the reason why you have to do that is because you need to go into a space and look for the things that you're not looking for originally. And that is something that I think is excellent scholarship and excellent research. So that's like just the general framing of it. And now you're engaging with students and you bring a particular question or positionality into the space, you actually close the space up to actually learn more about it and how you might hear a student say something, how you physically react to it, or how like, like, well, that's not really my research question. But the students are telling you something. And he's like, well, that's not my research question. And I feel like I've got this dissertation, I've got this, this research ready to go, like I've done all the work to set it up, I'm going in this direction. Like that to me, I think is a bit of a mistake, because you're not really hearing young people. and And you're just worried about your project more than what your project could actually become by being in that space so you have to be open and flexible
0: i see the relation to action research profoundly in that in terms of just being able to be open to a multitude of paths especially as informed by students when they just tell you what they want that's where you go in my opinion and in my approach but then how in a dissertation context do you justify that and then also make it small enough to be able to have something at the end of it? And even the concept of ownership within that is kind of confusing to me because it isn't mine at the end of the day, It's it should be, if I'm following student voice research framework, theirs.
3: Let me give you an example of something that happened to me yesterday, because it's right up there. I run this initiative at my institution called uh, SAGE Fellowship, Social Action Justice Education. It's an initiative to bring more students of color into the teaching profession. Long story short, with a lot of research that we've done, it's that social cohesion is one of the most important things you can do as a program director to try to retain and help students thrive in teacher education programs and in college in general. It's like why are students dropping out like that was part of like how we had to think about this. So in this notion of social cohesion, we created, and with some students, we created particular arrangements. We have like a mentorship program we have like these like power conversations and we have these socials. But the new cadre of students that came in this year, they're like not really showing up to the socials. And so now I've been like working with the leadership team thing, like, what do we do about this? And a lot of them are like, brace it. You got to go in and put your thumb down, like you got to show up. You got to do your thing. You know, like this is what they agreed to. By having coming come the socials, they'll create social cohesion. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I could do that, but that means we're not really listening. We're not paying attention to the data that's going on here. So I'm like, well, maybe we need to challenge what our idea of social cohesion, what that really means, and the methods in which we're engaged in trying to create social cohesion. So why don't we go find them, which we did yesterday, and ask them and see what like what do they want? Do they want to be part of the socials? Let's figure out like what's going on. And to me, that is being reflexive because we're trying to not only think through like our assumptions about the space, but like How we go and find, like, are we open now to hearing the the students say, like, we don't want to go, we don't want to do these monthly socials. We want to do, like, study groups. Like, that will, like, social keeps me us coming together. It's not about, like, party. Yeah, that
0: makes it, that's a really clear example. Thanks. Does anybody else want to jump in?
3: I'm on the edge of my seat for power dynamics.
0: (laughs) Okay, let's jump into that. So, I guess, broadly, what does negotiating power dynamics involve? Because we're, we're approaching this podcast as um, people who don't know much about student voice, what do you need to know? So let's say you're me. You haven't been in this school before. You have this idea that you want to work with students so that they can be heard in the context of a scholarly reform, for example. What should I be thinking about in terms of power dynamics before I step in the door? And then as I like have my first day in that context, how do I ensure that students are authentically engaging with me and I'm not forcing them into performative roles?
1: Okay, Mark, real quick before you respond, Vanessa, I'm wondering, so I'm sure our listeners are wondering too, can you offer maybe just a little bit more detail on what your, either your research question is or what your dissertation is or who the students are that you're working with just so we can place it in context of your question?
0: Yes. Um, I can't really say what's going to happen because my whole approach is that students are going to tell me what they need. What I can say is that there's going to be a school reform initiative being piloted at a high school, and I get to be part of the process of that reform involving diverse stakeholders, including teachers, administrators, union reps, our research team at McGill, the people who are like, there's a lot of stakeholders involved. And it also importantly prioritizes student involvement. But to date, we haven't necessarily seen, according to the student voice research framework, the type of student involvement that is authentic involvement, according to that paradigm. So what I'm interested in, if it's possible, if students do want to be involved, is how do I jump in with the idea of action research as a methodology within the context of working with students? How do I negotiate the power between me as an academic, as a person pursuing a PhD, as a person who is a teacher, as a female, as white, as all sorts of these different positionalities, how do I go in there and engender authentic student participation?
3: You know, there are a lot of answers to this one, but I think I'm gonna just lean on one at the moment. Because I think it's the core of everything what education is supposed to be about. And I think if we remember this, then, then we're going to get really fantastic results and experiences. And I can also give a story that helps to articulate it as well or to illustrate. Students have to trust you. It's just the bottom line, right? And if you don't build a trusting relationship with them, then most likely the populations that we really need to understand more about, they're just not going to give you what you want. And so this is a big challenge because educational research and educational researchers, typically they want to go in, go out, get in there do their projects, bang it out and then write some articles and move on because that's how the, our discipline has been structured. It's like, that's how it's been incentivized. Unfortunately, that incentive and that structure has undermined our ability to create trusting relationships with young people. So part of this, and this is the reflexivity piece. is like, you have to ask yourself, like. What am I really doing? Am I really here to help schools? Am I really to help students? Or am I really here to do that as a secondary piece? And my first piece is to get my career moving and get and get research out there. And so that's a really, really important question. It's been an important question for me. And I'm thankful in many ways because I don't work at a research one institution where I have a lot of those pressures to like publish, 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 publish. In fact, c- conferences for me tend to be really relaxing and enjoyable. And I look around, so my colleagues are all like freaked out and pressured and like competing with each other, which is really kind of gross and sad. So in order to build a trusting relationship, you got to be around, like you got to like show your face. You got to be a body in a building. You got to like show that you care about them. And the more you show that you care about students by your presence and your continued presence in there, the more you're going to build an excellent relationship where you can get all sorts of really great information and change after, I mean, especially with the action research stuff, because action research is like, we're building relationships for change. So if your first act is to go in and is to start through your research, you're probably starting off on the wrong foot. Uh, and so let me just give you an example of like just like a, a relationship that should be amazing, what, what has taken me a year and a half to develop. Uh, so as the the co-director for this fellowship that i described before, part of the students get like full scholarships to college, which is amazing. Total scholarship, become a teacher. And I have this one student, first generation, comes from a North Philadelphia community, like a scholarship should be unbelievably exciting for her. And and it is. But in the the first year of our experience together, like all sorts of problems, right? And I would sit with her and it was on Zoom, but I would sit with her and I'm like, tell me what's going on, how can I help you? And just like, wouldn't talk to me. I'm like, I'm trying to help you keep your scholarship. I'm here to like support you. Just couldn't get any information out of her. Just, just really, literally tied up. It is now yesterday. This is a year and a half later. And she's in my class. Now we do like work together. Now she's talking, she's brilliant, right? She's engaged in the class, which she wasn't before for the first six, six or seven weeks of the class. And I'm starting to see her blossom. And what what it required me to have in order to have that happen with her was a whole bunch of things, but one thing was like time. Right now she's ready to do anything with that. Anything that, that we could do together, she's now willing to do. And we could do powerful stuff, but it takes time So that's the first piece. So if your goal is to get in get out, well, good luck, you know, you know, maybe you'll get information, maybe you won't, but you probably won't get the critical information you need to really help change schools in my opinion.
0: Right. I have a follow-up question. I have a bit of a conflict in my methodology or in the way that I'm framing it in that I have framed my project under the umbrella of action research because the principles of action research make sense to me in terms of being cycles of action and reflection, in terms of prioritizing reflexivity, but also action research is slow. Action research takes a heck of a lot of time, um, especially if you want to build trusting relationships with people, which is unavoidable in the context of student voice research, I think, in terms of talking about what is important to me is that Going forward, students feel heard, that they're empowered to lead changes, that they're trusted with responsibility to express what their needs are, and then also have expectations for change that reflect those needs and expectations, not that we're giving lip service to what they are saying. Yes, in my mind, it's an action research project, and it's a student voice project, but I got to wrap this up in two to three years, and that makes no sense to me i don't want to be get in get out and i understand that i can be involved with these students beyond the context of my dissertation but i also feel like it's kind of a bit of like fraud <laughs> you know like it's not it can't be any of those things either you know what i mean
3: yeah but you're going to figure that out you know like if you're in there and you know some of the work that i as a chair i, I try to do with students is to is to reduce and focus you know so it depends on what your intentions are and how much you want to get done. Um, Because I think we have, like, big hopes and dreams, you know, but it's like your first study, essentially. Um, So, but two to three years is a long time. I would say that's pretty excellent, you know? And the thing is, it's like, you look at a trajectory. The two to three years is a start. Yeah, you might be finished that project, but this schools always need support. And, like, you could continue to be there, or it doesn't work, you got to go, right? It's a beginning of a trajectory. So I'm not concerned about that. I think that feels authentic and genuine. Just to add, one of the
2: things about contextualization in the student voice research framework process is that studies are going to be contextualized. So the timing, like what a good amount of time is, is going to depend upon the context. And like Mark said, two or three years for this is going to be great. You know, that's not something that you need to worry about because of the context where you're going to be working and who the students are and what the school is. So. You know, those are all things to consider when we're talking about time.
1: I'd like to come in too, if that's okay. I've been grappling with some of the same issues, Vanessa, and like one of the places that I land on it personally is that, and it relates to the work that I do in the field with communities here, is that ultimately action research is centralized around some sort of challenge, and it's something that we overlook oftentimes in action research methodology is. Yes, it's this like iterative cycle, right? That builds off of itself. However, as a facilitator of action research, it's almost an injustice to be creating a system or a cycle that we inherently embed ourselves in. Because what that arguably means is that the people who are confronting that challenge firsthand, at what point are they going to be able to take ownership of it, right? And like, you then remove yourself from the situation. So, that they're not dependent on some sort of outside researcher or facilitator or practitioner to guide and facilitate their challenge. At some point, the, the baton has to be passed over, and there's this the outcome of your research is a system, a model, a process, a framework in which internally they can continue to, to advance themselves, right, in addressing that challenge. So, I 100% agree.
3: This is not only just for student action research, this is actually for all student voice research, to be honest with you what you're all describing is the problem is that you get in there, you do some really good work and even lots of good successes, but then you get out, the whole thing disappears, right? Mm -hmm. Service to the school, the community, and the students itself, right? And a lot of the research I've read, even about action research, or those folks that try to do it, is that even like the implementation stage, like it just doesn't happen because of all these sort of barriers to it, right? Like the students have like designed and thought about the problem, but they actually really end up never really doing anything about the problem. Right. And so, and maybe you can all can challenge me on that as you are all actually research scholars. I read in like business literature, this thing called an improvement paradox. This notion that great intentions, change agents come together and they like build something and it like works for all the people involved. It like works, but it doesn't have the impact across the organization or across multiple organizations that they had hoped for. We hope that like this thing happens and it like does all this, but the blah, 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 that hope piece never intentionally from the beginning linked to the rest of the organization. So it's a problem of pathways and linkages into the rest of the institution, which of course connects to sustainability. I wrote a paper called The Student Voice and Organizational Improvement and Paradox about that, and then how linkages that are designed intentionally from the very beginning of your work, they've been linked properly into the institution create a greater likelihood that when you leave, you have shifted the ownership of the reform to other people in the organization, but also spread the value, principles, and norms of the change processes to other people in the institution as well. That is critical. So any action research in itself in a silo is doomed to disappear once you leave.
2: Right. And just to break that down a little bit further in terms of research methods and epistemologies and the purpose of research kind of philosophically. The purpose of doing research is to contribute knowledge. I mean, this is the formal like, university missions and visions and values are about this. Research is about contributing knowledge to the world. So sometimes the university in contributing knowledge to the world has this knowledge that is completely decontextualized, unimportant to the vast majority of people and doesn't really have any use. The student voice research framework and student voice as a methodology shifts that and says, all right. We're going to do work. We're going to build relationships, like Mark said. We're going to do the good work, and then we're going to contribute something that's going to have a real and lasting, sustainable contribution for the people and schools and communities involved. And so we can also contribute knowledge to other people who might be interested in, but the main focus is to make sure that the people we're working with are benefiting from that work. And when we we leave a contribution, that is of value. And so there's also like thinking about relationships and building relationships and the importance of that. Relationships in our lives have cycles as well, just like in research. So a cycle might end in a particular space and that's okay. As long as the space has had some kind of, you know, when you leave that space, you have contributed something
0: to that. And I think that's important too. There's something gnawing at me. I don't know, this might not be possible to unpack here, but we've talked about intersubjectivity and now we're going towards context. So the change process that's going to be implemented at the schools that I'm going to be part of has been decided by other people and is brought into the school. I'm hesitant to believe in that because it doesn't necessarily organically come from the place itself. And it might not be the kind of approach necessary for the people, the environment, the culture of the school that might already have a change process that works for them, but hasn't been necessarily articulated or whatever it is. I guess I'm struggling with the role of the researcher as taking on a more important role within the change process. You know what I mean?
3: I do. And then we are moving into context. This, this is kind of interesting. Um, not, not just the research, but the change agents themselves, right? So you're part of that change agency. Most schools are very hierarchical, and they've already been sort of designed as such. And so if we don't consider that as not only part of the power dynamics of what's going on here, but also the context, then... Yeah, we can do what Joe just described. Like, yeah, we can do good work, but that good work typically disappears after we go. And that is because we haven't considered the hierarchical relationship between young people and those that are working with them with the rest of the institution. Now, me being in higher ed and all of you as well, the thing that I have experienced, which I didn't experience really well in my K 12 teaching, was the, the power of ad hoc committees and steering committees where you bring many stakeholders and constituents together to rethink a very particular problem and and then consider the way in which not only we're we going to tackle the problem, but what we're doing in the processes that we're using, how we can spread that work at the same time. And if you don't think about the hierarchy and the power relationships within that, then you're missing an opportunity and all that energy that you put into it to have more dramatic effects on the institution. But more importantly, we're, I think we're letting down students. Because students, they can probably point to those things, and they're like, OK, well, you're the educators, and you're adults, and you're helping us build this thing. that They may not be thinking all these different levels, just like as researchers we're not thinking on those levels. So they put all this energy and time into this project. And whether it has any impact or not, that they're hoping that it does. In fact, if it doesn't, we know in research it says that it discourages democracy, and it discourages student voice for further action. Uh, you, we're basically telling students the young people that you can do a bunch of work, but hierarchy is going is what's really what matters. And that to me is very disempowering. So we really should be thinking about this, and I think it's ethical to do.
2: Yeah, I have a metaphor story kind of to share about some of that. This is a not realistic situation, but let's say that there is a person who is very thirsty and you're a researcher and you have a bunch of water and you have a bunch of soda and you have a bunch of beer or whatever. And then you do some research on the person's like, what happens when you're dehydrated? And you ask this person like, all right, so how are you feeling? Like, what is it that you really want? And the person says, I really want some water because I'm really thirsty. And you're like, OK, well, let me do some, you know, let me test your blood to see what happens when you're dehydrated. And I still have all this up, all this power as a scholar. I have water and soda and stuff. And what I decided is because. You tell me you're thirsty and because your blood sugar level is low because you're dehydrated, I'm going to give you soda because soda has sugar and water and not just water. And the person says, I don't want that. I want water. And you say, no, I'm going to give you soda. Or alternatively, you could say, OK, I figured out what's wrong with this person. Now I'm going to tell all of my friends and colleagues about this while this person is still needing something to drink. Those are the kinds of things that happen a lot in much more complex and much broader scales when we're talking about research if you're taking one set of data like here's something that's important blood sugar levels should be at this particular point this person is dehydrated we're going to give them this intervention that intervention actually doesn't work for them because they don't want that and it actually wouldn't help them because that's not what they need maybe they can get you know food elsewhere or something those kinds of considerations are not uncovered if you don't talk to people and you don't build intersubjective understanding in this particular case it's really simple but when we're talking about complex organizations like schools and we're talking about complex spaces where there are different generations with people with multiple and different identities, those kinds of considerations, when you're not leveraging your power to contribute something, can be as problematic as taking a step back and not doing anything. And so the most important thing is building an intersubjective understanding to understand what the appropriate and proper way to leverage your power is, as well as to share with other people what's going on.
3: Let me add to that, Joe. That's actually a really good example to get back to what I think Vanessa is saying in this question because I think this is an excellent and Everything I say with you, I agree. So to think about linkages, right, in this regards, we would have to say like, what are the conditions that dehydrate you, right? Because if we're really trying to resolve the dehydration, we can study, and this is what I think researchers do all the time. They like get really enclosed into the subject and you know, like we pick it apart, we figure out like what we'll get, you know, and then of course our solution is just get more water. But the reason they're dehydrated is actually just as critical so we have to really examine all the things that are causing this as part of our work and if we do that we find a better way forward and that's probably what the young person would want like yeah i want some water but i don't want to be dehydrated again like can you help me with that so then what would be the conditions that would make you feel more whole right because maybe all of a sudden we find out that dehydration is, was linked to other things that we weren't even looking for. Again, this is, again, reflexivity, maybe it's related to stress. Maybe it's related to like the lighting in rooms. Maybe it's related to that, how far they have to walk to school. every single. Well, seen who knows? Right. But like reflexivity would be so important in this moment to say, like, what are we really looking for? Are we just trying to like figure out this piece or can we like dig a little bit broader?
0: Yeah. I think that was a really great metaphor. That makes a lot of sense to me. So then when it comes to considering reflexivity, power dynamics, and intersubjectivity when you've kind of gotten into a rhythm of things, something that really interests me as a person who leans into more creative avenues for expression and interaction. This is a little bit off the cuff, but I really wanted to ask you about creative options in student voice research that are outside of typical method selection of surveys, interviews, focus groups, that kind of thing. Like, is the sky the limit?
3: Yeah, well, this is where some of the work that Joe's been doing has been pretty inspiring to in May. And also some of the other researchers that contributed to our volume that are just really outstanding one thing i've certainly learned about young people in this generation is that a lot of them like to be producers like they like to produce knowledge they like least to construct like and we've given them and they've been provided access to tools that enable them to construct and we even have a, a chapter in our book about how to use a ball yarn to really investigate power dynamics of relationships, which is incredibly fascinating. Like young people like to be engaged in doing things. And so because of that, and because of all the tools available to do that, the, the sky's the limit. When the interesting thing is that, that like we're us old folk are like have huge problems if we want to connect, it's like constantly changing. I don't even have a TikTok account, like I'm up on reels. I'm like, this is awesome. Like I just did seven hours on reels and they're like, brace off. We're on TikTok already. So like, that's the thing. There's just so many conduits And, and quite frankly, the conduits don't even really matter that much. It's like what the conduits can do to help us to gain access to their, their perceptions their insights and the ways in which they view the world. So I agree with you Vanessa, the sky's the limit. To try to shift people's paradigms around that, we offer some examples of like what you can do, hopefully that opens up the uh, the creative waterways for researchers to say, okay, like there's so much we can do to, for, to understand where young people are at.
0: That's really encouraging to hear.
3: The
1: one thing that I've been kind of keep going back to in my mind as we have this conversation, which has been really, really interesting, is it kind of goes back to the lightning round question about student voice and action research align. This is the action research podcast and everything I've, I've been hearing it seems like they're parallel structures. So I guess I'm wondering what does it look
3: like when student voice is not action research, you're now talking more of the area that I spend time in. And truthfully, like I need to listen to more of your podcast and read because I think action research could be a future for me because I think it, ge- it asks you to be more genuinely involved in a space or spaces. But for me, the student voice research has been a little bit more of a tweak of the traditional approach. I put the voices of young people, both in the collection of data and thinking about problems in the relationship building, center of the work. And so you, you'll notice if you read some work that I've done, you'll end up to place real value on the, the energy that young people have given to the projects that I've engaged in with them. It's their voices. It's storytelling. They're telling their truths and I'm, I'm just trying to do my best to frame it and then A critical component of this has been that after working and writing and thinking about it, I hand them that work and I say, did I do this right? Am I representing you? Well, because this is you, this is not me. And I've gotten some really interesting feedback. Some are like, wow, this is great. This reads like a reality TV show. I'm like, yes, right? And then others are like, no, you, you got this wrong you got this like totally wrong. And like, this is like, brace up, you better change this. And I'm like, okay, I will actually, that's the reflexivity piece. It's like so unbelievably critical. And like the inner subjectivity that uh, Joe talked about, like you can get there by doing that kind of stuff, like give it back to them, see what they say, see what they want and ask them, like, can I share this with the world? Like, are you okay with that? Those things are really, really critical, I think. And as a result of that, I believe that I've been able to publish less but each publication has had more play. And that was like a recommendation that came from my dean when I first got hired. He's like, Mark, it's not about the number of publications you do, it's about the, the impact and power that you can make with each piece that you do. And so for me, that means like young people need to be part of that process. To circle this back. I hope maybe this will give folks some, some hope about this because what we're advocating here is to slow down. And like I think the disciplines are saying speed up, you know what I mean? Like the job markets and all that stuff. So my first book, Student Voice and School Governance, wrote it about 10 years ago. And all the things I just talked about, like all were in there, like the story and so forth. That book is still active. I get notes from people, from students that were involved in that book, or they're like, I'm using this now as a means to help us rethink our school governance structure over here. And I'm like, so like a 10 year lifespan of any piece of scholarship, I think is pretty incredible and it's not because it was like I'm like a super smart dude or something like that because I'm not. It's just that like the process to build it made it meaningful and that is what I think is most important. Like I'm not all about the CV, like I don't really care about that. I'm really like if I'm going to do something meaningful, like make it work. That's my pitch to young researchers, screw the game, help kids.
0: I was going to ask you what advice you had, but uh, I think that's it.
3: (laughs) I'm with you. Good job.
1: Good job. Way to own that. Um, I think we need more scholars thinking that way. So I really appreciate that stance. I'm definitely following your lead on that one.
0: It was really great to get to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck with your research. It
2: was awesome to sit back and just be like, hey, look at this kind of student voice in action also just in this podcast, you know, which is pretty sweet.
1: I can't wait to read more about it. Come back on. I think that there's more, more conversation to be had about this topic. So for me, this was a great start. It's great meeting you. Vanessa, thank you too. You were awesome. Thank you for coming
0: on. How have you found yourself in the world of action research? Want to be interviewed or share one of your projects? Engage in interactive dialogue with Joe, Adam, and other experts and listeners in the community on Twitter at The underscore AR pod or the Action Research Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on most major podcast distribution platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Action Research Podcast, created by Adam Stieglitz, Joe Levitan, Shikha DeWalker and Vanessa Gold. See you next time.